Well, once again, a very good morning to you, and thank you for joining me in recognizing and supporting, encouraging our teachers for this year. We really thank them for the work that they are doing to raise up our next generation of Christians. It's so vital, uh, their participation, their effort, their work. You know, who makes the calls, do you think, to remind the parents to, to bring the kids? The teachers do. Who buys the snacks? The teachers do. Who plans the crafts? The teachers do. Right? They're doing all that work every week uh, after they finish their 40, 50-hour-a-week jobs. So we're really thankful for them and all of the efforts that they put in. I hope you will join me in thanking them, too, this year. The other person, too, this morning I need to thank uh, is, is, I have to thank Caitlin for making a little step uh, forward or up or whatever you want to call it, uh, because the reason she's, she's standing forward is we spent a couple hours this week trying to adjust the sound and deal with the sound system and improve the sound in the sanctuary, and we realized uh, that we're, the biggest part of the problem is that we're just too far forward from the speakers. We need to get further back from the speakers, and the only way that we can do that is since we can't move the speakers forward is to move the singers and the speakers backward. <laughs> uh, so she had to take a step higher up, and uh, I, I know she's not looking for the limelight, so I thank her for doing that as well. Let's begin today to hear God's word with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would sanctify us, make us holy, as we hear your truth, for your word is truth. Amen. Today we'll be taking a look at the, uh, the, the topic that Jesus lays out for us in Matthew chapter 18, to correct one another, and Jesus there gives us the process. His emphasis is on how we do it, the steps involved, and, and what our emphasis is going to be more just on that we do it. Uh, to this, these days, lately we've been studying government, as I said, in our smaller Bible study groups. Uh, it's been a challenge, I don't know, right? Uh, but, and I, I wish I could say I have great insight about government. I, I don't. The one thing I've, I've been interested in and I wanted to share with you this morning, see what you think about it, I got this one thought um, or this one quote that I wanted to pass on. It says this, The Bible binds my conscience to care for the poor, but it does not tell me the best practical way to do it. Any particular strategy may be good and wise and may even be somewhat inferred from other things the Bible teaches, but they're not directly commanded, and therefore we cannot insist that all Christians follow one or another. The Bible binds my conscience to love the immigrant, but it doesn't tell me how many legal immigrants to let into the United States every year. It doesn't prescribe immigration policy. The Bible tells me abortion is a, an evil, but it doesn't tell me the best way to manage abortion, nor which policies are the most effective to preserve life. The current political parties offer a potpourri of different positions on these and many, many other topics, most of which the Bible does not speak to directly. And this means when it comes to taking political positions, voting, determining alliances, and other political involvement, Christians must insist on liberty or freedom of conscience. We can't say to other Christians, no Christian could ever vote for, or Christians must vote for, unless you can find a specific biblical command to that effect. What do you think about that? I, I think that's a, a nice example of putting into play the principle, the truth that we learned last week, that the only, the 80%, uh, only people who fear God are going to make wise decisions 
in the 80% of time in life when there are no rules. Or as the Bible put it last week, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, And if you want to see that, you can see it up on our wall outside there. Now, that is going to give us the kind of conviction, the kind of basic belief that we need to handle riots, protests, civilians killed by police, police killed by armed civilians, grandparents dying by the far too many, uh, and babies and and infants that have, have died. You know what wisdom can really do for us in the midst of this? Here's some words from Proverbs chapter 3, and these words that we're going to be, beginning of the section we'll be looking at today. Proverbs chapter 3, my 1 and 2 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Look what Solomon says wisdom gets you. A long life, peace, prosperity, the good life. Who doesn't want peace? Who doesn't want prosperity? Doesn't that sound good? That's what wisdom gets you. And when you use wisdom in the 80% of situations in life when there are no rules, that is what you and I get. Now Solomon argues, wisdom wisdom doesn't come from hard work. Peace and prosperity, I should say, doesn't come from hard work, although that plays into it. Solomon doesn't argue that marriage gives you peace and prosperity, although I think at some points he mentions that. Solomon doesn't argue that charisma, my winning personality, gets us peace and prosperity, although that should definitely play a role, don't you think? My winning personality, yes. Uh, Solomon doesn't even argue that education and skills get us peace and prosperity. Did you catch what Solomon said? Solomon said, with all your heart. And then in two verses he says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. What brings peace and prosperity? It's when you can make those wise decisions with all your heart. And remember when the Bible, when the Bible says your heart, it doesn't talk about your emotions. That's how Americans think about heart. The Bible speaks of heart as our convictions, which you've got, and our emotions and our thoughts. When all of those things come together, then there can be wise decisions. And so there's the promise a little bit for us this morning. Make decisions that lead to peace and prosperity. And I don't think, I don't know, I, I, maybe you don't think I have a good life. I think I have a pretty good life. Uh, it, it hasn't come from marriage, although that's been part of it. It hasn't come from education and skills, although that's part of it. It, it comes mostly from this, and, and this is where I'm still learning even myself, and I'm learning to grow like you. It comes from the false starts, the wrong turns, the bad paths, and then getting redirected. That's the promise for us this morning, is that, that when we, we get that new direction, we re- get redirected, we will come to a place where we can make wise decisions. You want to hear it? Here's how God puts it in Proverbs chapter 3. He says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke. Did you catch that? Wow, right? 
Talk about tough, huh? Here's this, here's this whole chapter where God says, you can have peace and prosperity. You can have favor with people. You can have health and nourishment. Doesn't that sound nice? And here's the secret to it. Accept discipline. Receive correction. Here's some other passages from Proverbs. They, they put it this way. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Whoever regards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. Can you believe this? Right? Solomon says, you can have peace, you can have prosperity, you can have health, you can have nourishment. And what's the secret? What's the key? Not your best life, not education, not skills. It's that you accept correction. I don't like that very much. I don't like correction. <laughs> I don't like being wrong. I don't like getting told that I'm wrong. And I especially don't like being wrong in the 80% of time in life where there are no rules. Can you imagine how hard this was for Solomon? Solomon, Solomon uh, he broke the rules. He should have, he should have known better. Uh, Solomon had hundreds if not thousands of affairs in his life. I have no idea how many times he was corrected for them. What I do know is the consequences of all of his bad decisions. After Solomon died, his two sons split his kingdom. And the kingdom has never been put back together in 2,900 years since then. Wow. That's how hard it was. You think, well, I certainly wouldn't have as much of a hard time as Solomon at receiving correction. The reason Solomon had such a hard time receiving correction was because in those days, families, your family, made all the difference on whether or not I listened to you. One example of that is, is this time when Jesus was preaching. He was teaching in the synagogue, and, and people liked him. They were amazed at what he heard. They heard. Then they said, wait a second that Mary's son? Aren't those his brothers and his sisters? And they were offended by him. The reason they refused to listen to him was not because he didn't have the education, he didn't have the skills, it was because, because of his family. And so we say, well, gee, I would never do that. I would never refuse to listen to correction. I don't ignore people because of their family. Don't we have, their, don't we have our own reasons? To refuse correction. Think about one time I was corrected by a, a man I later found out was an alcoholic. Hmm. That was not my favorite thing to hear. Probably the best example. You know John Newton? Ever heard of that name before? He wrote this hymn. I think it's kind of popular. You ever heard of it? I think it's called Amazing Grace. You know that one? Kind of a big deal, right? You know, John Newton, he's famous because he was a slave trader at one time, and then he left the slave trade. And as his, his, his years went on, eventually, 1788, what he, he said is, it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me 
that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. Wow, poor guy. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Newton, it took him almost 40 years before he became convinced the slave trade was wrong. 1748, Newton was converted for the first time. He was on a ship sinking. He prayed to God, and if God rescued him, he said, I, would, I will believe in God. He was rescued, but that didn't change his life much. He, he, he got fever a few years later. Again, he prayed for rescue. Again, it, it didn't change his life much. It took until 1788 for Newton to become convinced that the slave trade was a bad idea. And it was in 1807 that the act was passed which abolished the slave trade. Newton was blind and almost dead on his deathbed. And he received this news with great joy. With great joy, it says. It's Newton himself said the one thing it was, it was a constant road of correction. He even used that word, correction, that it took. Christians, we must receive correction. We must receive correction if we're ever going to have God's wisdom. So let's do this, huh? Will you, will you receive correction with me? No matter whether you are just starting out in life and you think you know everything, but you probably only know nothing and you don't even know what you don't know. Or will you, will you receive correction even if you're at the end of your days and you feel like you probably should know everything, but, but you might not know anything about all the new things and everything else that's happened in between? Can we all receive correction? And let's get the strength from God to do this together. Because here's the strength that God gives us. God says, Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father he delights in. You see what this is? See, there are It's nothing. We, we all suffer, and, and suffering is nothing. And so they'll, they'll say, uh, you know, a, a child, a weak child, a baby who, who gets sick and dies, well, that's not really... So that, that's not really that big of a deal. It, it probably saved the kid from something worse later on. Uh, other people say, you know, suffering is only in your mind. And so we just need to kind of ignore it, put it out of our minds, and life will get better. Uh, on the other side of this pers- the spectrum uh, are people who say everything is suffering. Life is falling apart. It's all miserable and it's all terrible. God doesn't say either of those things to you and to me. God says, yes, yeah, suffering is terrible. Suffering is, is awful. Suffering is hard. Let me give you the secret to getting through it. I delight in you. What keeps you going in, in the hard things? Jesus, Jesus heard these words from his Father when he got baptized. You're my Son in whom I delight. In John chapter 1 it says, To all who believe in Jesus we have the right to become children of God. And God says later that we have the spirit that cries out of sonship. Now, if God is saying that to you and to me, then what does that mean about the crosses, the suffering, the rebuke and the correction that each and every one of us go through? It means that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment that we deserve, and now God is pleased with us. 
Sometimes the Spirit now can come in and He would say to us, You're my child, and I delight in you. I don't care that you messed this thing up. I still delight in you. I don't care that your life is falling apart because you were a a drunk. I still delight in you. I don't care that your life is busted up because you had affairs all the time. I still delight in you. I delight in you because of my Son, Jesus. What that means, what that means is that you know without a doubt in every single sorrow and sadness and correction of your life that God loves you and He is pleased with you. And when the Spirit comes and He takes that story and He he retells it, he, He reshapes it into a new story, everything becomes gold. If the Son was corrected, if Jesus was corrected, then how can we ever be sad? If, if Jesus suffered, then how can we ever be rejected? Receive correction, accept correction, and experience delight, God's delight. That is real wisdom. And maybe that's something that you want to put up on your wall today. Maybe that's something you want to put up on the wall out there uh, and and put on your card. Those little cards are at the door again on your way out, uh, the main doors out there. You can grab one of those cards and and put that proverb for today on it. Accept correction and experience delight. And see what God will do for you to give you wisdom this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we so often avoid the correction that has come into our lives. We, we see suffering as in shallow ways. We, we can't see how it is discipline pointing us to a greater glory and a greater honor. And we, we miss the fact that even in the midst of our trouble and our hardship, you take great delight in us. I pray that you would let us see with new eyes your Son, Jesus, and, and how he experienced incredible suffering for us so that we could know your pleasure and your delight. And nothing can ever take that away from us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.